starting at Judges 14, verse 7. If you weren't here last week, if you don't have any idea what the sermon was about last week, that's okay. I'll catch you up in the message. But we're going to start at uh, Judges 14, verse 7. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter, okay? And uh, just an FYI, there's a, bu- a number of things going on. It would be probably more, probably quite helpful to have a Bible open during the message uh, to track with the different things going on. Some of you do that anyway, but if you don't, this could be a good Sunday to do that. Again, Judges 14, beginning at verse 7. Before we read, let's um, have a word of prayer. Oh God, we ask your blessing on, on the reading, and uh, we pray also for the hearing of your word, that we would truly listen, that we would hear it. Lord, in these next moments, uh, we pray that the, uh, the meditations of our hearts. Here's God's holy and infallible word, Judges 14, beginning at verse 7. Then Samson went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. So we're picking it up in the middle of a story. You will be caught up in the message. Don't worry. Sometime later, when he, Samson, went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. And now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. And if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. And he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we're going to burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? They're suspecting that she and Samson weren't on this together or something, right? And then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. And so on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, acting like, in the way they say that, they're kind of acting like, oh, this is simple, even though they had no clue. What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. That's God's word for us this morning, friends. So now we've read 
uh, there are 12 judges in the book of Judges. Some of them are more minor, just a verse or two, but there's like six major judges. Samson is the very last judge of all in the book. And in the first two chapters about Samson, chapter 13 and now chapter 14, um, some pretty big stuff happens. A miraculous birth, first of all, in that first chapter. And now we got uh, a wedding. Big life events, right? Um, Thinking about the wedding, cadets, I'm going to give you some advice about your wedding day. How many of you have thought about your wedding day? If you have, that's cool. But I know you're probably not going to be thinking about your wedding day for a long time. But this is what I want you to tuck away in your mind. Remember this. The girl you marry one day, the woman, is in charge of the wedding, the wedding planning, what happens in the ceremony, all of it. And another scientific fact is that most, Andrea's like, no way. Um, Another scientific fact, I think, is that I have four girls, so I know things about this. They say that um, girls start thinking about their wedding day at roughly age one. (laughs) And you know what? That means they've given it a lot more thought than you, like 25 plus years. And, And so the guy's job on the wedding day, preparing for the wedding, is to say these things. I want you to listen, and then you're going to repeat them. Yes, dear. And how can I help? Can you say those two things loudly? And how can I help? So you have just become a prime catch for all the girls at Faith when you get a little bit older. And um, for the rest of you, you probably didn't know that Faith CR Cadets includes uh, preparing these guys to be excellent husbands and godly husbands. I'm sort of joking, but I'm, I'm not because I know that is, that's, that's, what these, that's what we do in discipleship. I remember... Guys, when I was a cadet, so I was like your age, and I, what I did, I remember from time to time thinking about getting married, and then sometimes I would even pray that if it was God's will, that he would bless me with just the right wife one day, one who loved God, who loved me, um, and then God has answered that prayer from a long time ago better than I ever could have hoped for, but I cannot say that I ever, I don't think I hardly ever thought about the wedding. I thought about someone I might marry, but I never thought about the wedding. But in Bible days, it was different. Um, Men were more involved in the wedding, the ceremony, and the planning, especially the father of the groom. And we saw last week that Samson really disrespected his dad by not letting him choose who he was going to marry. And beyond being disrespectful to his father, he was disobedient to the Lord, we learned last week, who doesn't want his people to marry people who don't believe in him. Today, we read and get into more about the actual wedding. And that's, that's interesting because a wedding is one of the ways that the Bible calls us to look at the whole sweep of the history 
throughout the ages between God and his people. We might even say that our Father God is the great wedding planner. And from the beginning, his plan was to bring people into a relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. Jesus, the bridegroom, and we, his people, the church, are called his bride. And when, when Samson takes over the wedding planning from his father, things go very bad very quickly. But when the Spirit of God steps in, and that's at the very end of our chapter, things get back on track, like where they're supposed to be. Jesus, the bridegroom, first of all this morning, obeys for us the bride. Jesus was always obedient for his people, the bride. And he was because we aren't. We aren't obedient. And Samson is like the opposite of Jesus in the realm of obedience. Remember that Samson and his parents were on their way to meet this girl that Samson said he liked. They're like, she's a Philistine. She doesn't believe in our God, but he's like, I'm still going to do it. Very stubborn, very unteachable, didn't listen to advice, disrespected his parents and all that. And when they went down to meet this girl, uh, a lion came at him, a roaring lion. His parents didn't see it. They, he must have gone like on a little side path or something when uh, the Spirit of God enabled him to tear apart uh, the lion. And he doesn't tell them about it, and I'm, I think probably maybe he doesn't say anything because it was like this special moment in a sense. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, if you've heard it before, but this is when Samson was being uh, shown by God what his calling would be and just what the Spirit would empower him to do. And from here on, he would know that when he faced enemies... He knew that he'd be able to take them on in the power of the Lord. So what, whether it was because this was a special calling moment. Um, oh, did we have our first, can we put our first point up there? Thank you. Um, sorry if I wasn't clear on that. Samson doesn't say anything after the lion when he meets up with his parents again and I would kind of think, you know, so he goes off, kills this lion, and then meets his parents. And I feel like they would be like, Samson, why are you all out of breath? Like, why is there blood all over your clothes and arms? But apparently they didn't say that. I, I would think there'd be some evidence. But what happens today is that he talks to the girl. They must have gotten engaged, and they set up a wedding date. Later, heading back to the wedding, Samson goes to the spot, right, where he kills the lion. He finds bees and honey in the carcass. This would not have been normal. So the, the honey being there was likely a miracle. Usually, right, flies and maggots would be crawling around the carcass, even if it had dried out. There wouldn't normally be a productive community of bees this honey would have been another, a test of obedience for Samson. This guy who we already know lives by his senses, especially his eyes. And we learned that he, had to be, he was a lifelong Nazarite and that he could never touch a dead body. 
So the question is, when he sees this honey, will he disobey? And the answer is, yes, he will. In fact, he doesn't even seem to give it a second thought. He sees, he takes, he disobeys God. And meeting up with his parents, he shares some of the honey with them, not telling them where it's from. They eat, but unknowingly, they're sinning because no Israelite was to eat anything that came from a dead body. They'd become unclean. And this, this test, this disobedience, makes us think of the first sin in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word. Eve saw the forbidden fruit. She took it, she ate it, and she shared it with Adam. And then he disobeyed along with her. Samson, too, saw the honey forbidden because it was in a carcass. He took it, he ate it, and he shared it. Your natural tendency, too, as well as mine, is to disobey and to be ruled by our senses. They say that boys and men are especially visually oriented. So for guys, uh, you know, we see something inappropriate. We see something not God-honoring. And it's hard to look away from that. We want more. We take that in. We disobey. We want what's pleasing in our eyes. And the question is, will we hear God's word and obey? Or like Samson, will we disobey in those instances? And far too often, of course, we fail. And that failure, disobedience, breaks the relationship between us and our God. Before the fall in the garden... Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with God. Let's call it um, a perfect engagement. You know the, a perfect engagement where the, the guy finds the absolute perfect location. He buys the perfect ring, gets all the, the, the camera people around with their smartphones like you do it these days, gets down on one knee. She says yes. They set the wedding date. Everything is perfectly romantic, everything is perfectly dreamy, but from that perfect engagement that Adam and Eve had with God, they disobey, and what happens is the engagement is broken off. It's, It's done, but then God's grace comes in, and he makes a promise that he's going to see this marriage through anyway. And he's going to do it by sending his son, the perfect bridegroom. And so the engagement is back on. And it's because Jesus would come to obey where you and me have not. He'd live a a faithful life following God's will, hearing God's word, doing what's pleasing in his father's eyes always. And when we belong to him, That obedience is applied to our life, and God looks at us as faithful. We're covered by his blood. Our Father God, the great wedding planner, sees his wedding through so that all who believe in his Son will yet be able to celebrate that great wedding banquet in glory that the Bible talks about. Jesus, the bridegroom, secondly this morning, proclaims the good news for us 
the bride. Samson receives 30 groomsmen, and these guys would serve the groom for the seven days of the wedding feast. And the first thing Samson does is he tells them a riddle, and he makes a bet. And if they can tell him the answer to the riddle, he's going to give each of the 30 guys a PS4. I mean, golf clubs. I mean, a set of clothes. Which is a little weird to us, but back then that would have been a cool gift for guys, I guess. Um, If they can't answer the riddle, he would get 30 sets of clothes himself from them. We know the answer to the riddle because we've read what comes before, but to anyone else, it would be impossible to figure this out. What's going on here? And, and even so, the, this riddle and even the like, sort of poetic language that he uses later on about the heifer and, and everything and, and the way they even frame their response. A lot of people think that this is, has similarities with the parables of Jesus. And, and those, those parables had two functions, remember? We, we think of the one that, you know, uh, ha- earthly stories with a heavenly meaning where we learn some truth as God's people. But there was another function of those parables, and that was to actually conceal God's truth to those who do not believe in the Lord. That was one of the purposes and why they weren't always clear. Samson was among unbelievers, and in a sense, he was bringing before them in the form of this riddle this special revelation and calling that God had given him about the abilities that he would have in the spirit. But he's using all of that just to amuse himself. He, he, he's, he, he's being fast and loose with God's special revelation, we might say, instead of discerning about it and treating it as truly something special that God spoke to him. He's, he's casting pearls before swine. Instead of using God's revelation for the benefit of God's people, he uses it selfishly. He uses it for fun. Jesus always proclaimed God's word for his people, for the bride, never for selfish reasons, but to edify, to build up, warn, warn us if need be. But for Samson, it's all about himself all the time. He's not using his gift and calling for Israel, but for himself. And it's all sidetracking him from God's call for him to be a judge or a deliverer. He was supposed to be drawing God's people back to faithfulness by proclaiming God's word. And we can take God's revelation, his word, lightly too. When, when, when we don't value it, when we're not making a point to read it regularly, uh, we can use it for our own gain too. When people twist the meaning of the Bible to fit their own lifestyle, when we use God's word to tear down instead of to encourage the body of Christ, when we use God's word uh, to judge others, whether it's in the church or beyond, instead of proclaiming the good news. Jesus, the bridegroom, third, suffers for us, the bride. Samson suffers here. His wife betrays him to her people. 
After a few days of getting nowhere with the riddle, the guys are like, get the answer for us, right? Or you, we're going to burn you and your father's household. They weren't too subtle. These Philistines were vicious, savage people. So after she cries and impresses Samson for days, he finally gives in. She immediately gives the answer to her people. And he's heard about this. He's angry. But it's really hard for us to have sympathy for Samson. I mean, what, what did he expect the result of being so disobedient would be? Did he think good things would result from being disobedient? When you cozy up to the world, you're going to get bit every time. So Samson suffers, but his suffering was really self-inflicted. And if you think about it, really so is ours. Our suffering is self, can be self-inflicted. We're sinners. We're wayward children. We've disobeyed God in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We're the unfaithful spouse. We cozy up with the world. We don't deserve good from God. We don't deserve God's blessings. We don't even deserve the shirt on our back. We deserve punishment. But we don't get it because of Jesus. Because he suffered all the way to death, though he never, ever disobeyed. He did that for us. His suffering was not self-inflicted. It was 100% for others, for his people, for his bride, and part of that suffering was betrayal too. But unlike Samson, he didn't deserve to be betrayed. He was completely innocent, unlike Samson. And I just I want to insert one other thing here before we do our, our last point uh, for the cadets. Uh, one of these, this is a, like a really famous passage if you know the Bible at all. Samson says, if you have not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So again, just a little bit of advice for cadets. Heifer is not something to call a girl or your wife. We don't live on a farm, so you might not even know what a heifer is. But if you don't, ask your mom or dad. Um, I guess, I don't even think it was cool back then. Samson's kind of a coarse guy. It's certainly not cool today. Okay, just a little more advice for free. <laughs> Fourth and lastly, Jesus, the bridegroom, prepares us, the bride, for the wedding banquet. You dress nice for a wedding. Uh, one of these other common differences between girls and boys, girls get very excited about dressing nice and cleaning up. Uh, boys generally don't, but you dress nice for a wedding. Everybody does. Clean clothes. Um, because of the saving work of the bridegroom, Jesus, who suffered, died, rose again, were cleansed of our sin. And the Bible describes that as us getting clean clothes to wear. In Revelation 7, which peaks ahead to the very end of time, God's people, a multitude, they're described as all wearing white robes, just like the white dress of a bride, which represents purity, holiness, and that's because Jesus makes us pure and holy, and so we are fit to be the bride of Christ. We're fit to belong in the new heavens and the new earth. We're fit to be at this wedding feast of the Lamb in glory. He covers 
all our sins, the Bible says, with the robes of his righteousness. As God's deliverer, Samson was supposed to be helping God's people back then be cleansed and clothed with the coming Christ. But the opposite happens here. He ends up having to clothe the enemy of God's people with fine garments instead of clothing God's people with those. And how this goes down at the end gives us hope and it shows us that nothing is going to thwart this great wedding plan that our God has in history. Obviously what Samson does is very brutal, goes off to another town, kills 30 men, takes their clothes. But we can't miss that and this is puzzling a bit, right? That what, what, a thing, what a terrible thing to do. But we can't miss that the Spirit of the Lord empowers him to do this, fills him. So this was God's will that this happened. And God did this because he was intending to free his people Israel from this Philistine oppression which ultimately was threatening to totally wipe out God's people. And in the process, if they totally wiped out God's people, that would wipe out God's plan to bring his son into the world out of his people, Israel. Other times we have this level of brutality in the Old Testament, right? And it's tough to understand. But it helps a bit to remember that the people around Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, outright rejected the Lord. They were wicked. They could have turned to God and been saved and become part of the people of God. And we have a number of examples of those who did from that land. But by far most of them did not turn to the Lord. They remained in their wicked ways. And one way to think about this that I found helpful is, you know, like what's going on here, what's going on in the Old Testament. At the end of time, right, we talk about God finally taking care of, of sin and evil and his enemies once and for all. But there are times that his future judgment impinges on disobedient people in the present as a warning for everybody else of what will happen if we reject him sooner or later. And during the Old Testament, that's some of what was going on. A few, the future judgment impinging on the present in order to be a warning to them, the people, the times, and all of us. So what he did was brutal, but it's not like Samson was killing innocent people. Those 30 people were not innocent. They had rejected the Lord of Israel. They rejected the true God um, and were living in disobedience to God. So this ending of chapter 14, which is sort of the start of Samson, you know, we read that Samson would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. He wouldn't finish it. The ending of chapter 14 tells us that despite Samson, despite our own failures, God will move forward as the great 
wedding planner to bring his bride and the bridegroom, us and Jesus, together. And he won't let anything block that relationship from happening and being consummated at the very end of time. Not the Philistines. The Philistines wouldn't be able to stop it. Not our sworn enemies and the enemies of God's people in all times, the devil, remaining sin inside of us, the world. God, this chapter tells us that God is going to see the plan through, see the wedding through. So how can you be a part of this most special relationship in the world? How can you be brought safely and purely into heaven to enjoy Jesus' perfect love forever? Well, we can by responding to his invitation when he says, come to me, come to me. And you know what we're called to respond? It's very simple. Okay, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will come to you. And we might add to that, we, could also, we might also want to say, because we're so grateful, and God, how can I help in this plan? What is my role in this wonderful, amazing, cosmic plan, Father? The fact is that uh, for our cadets, for each one of us, God has a special role so that each one of us can help and, and participate in his plan. Uh, for all of us, regardless of your particular role in God's kingdom, um, he says, serve me, love me. That's how you can help. Put others and me above and before yourself. That's how you can help. Share the good news of God's great wedding plan. Invite others to the heavenly banquet. That's how we can help. And prepare, disciple others so that you and others are prepared to meet me on that day. Disciple these cadets. Disciple all our students, all God's people, and, and prepare them to enjoy the blessing of living in a relationship with the bridegroom, our Jesus, and out of that loving, secure, saving relationship, we can be a blessing wherever we go. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for showing us in your word um, all that Jesus has done for us and all that you have done in your great plan, O oh God, our Father. Help us uh, to respond with a yes, Lord, to the invitation uh, to your wedding banquet. Help us to say yes, Lord, and how can I help? How can I serve? What do you want me to do? And give us ears uh, to hear your response. Bless us, O oh God. Keep each one of us so close to the bridegroom, to Jesus, all the way to the end. 
when we'll celebrate in glory. And, oh God, may as many people as possible be joining us there. And would we be a part of the invitations going out? We pray. Use us in your name. Amen.